Church, it's true what we've just sung about. Uh, Jesus saves, and Jesus is calling people of all ages everywhere. Jesus saves on so many levels, certainly on the cross, shedding his sinless blood, washing away guilt and sin and shame. Jesus saves, certainly in the empty tomb when the power of God raised him from the dead, the same power that lives in us and can transform us. Jesus saves the cross, the empty grave, and Jesus saves in a way we don't think about quite as often. As we observe and imitate Jesus of Nazareth in his humanity, the way he walked, the way he talked, the way he lived, as we imitate Jesus, we are in the process of being changed and saved. Jesus saves, but this last way, Imitating Jesus, that is our focus these days at Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church, recovering what we're calling the lost arts of spiritual conversation. Last week it was noticing, this week it's listening. This lost arts business is simply code for this. What did Jesus do? Let's do more of that. How did Jesus walk as a person in this world? What if we gave the world just a little bit of that? James 1, verse 19, is the main text for this sermon. Now, the book of James is a short New Testament book. James was one of the younger brothers, the half-siblings, of Jesus. Of all the books in the New Testament after the Gospels, James is the writer who sounds the most like Jesus. And it makes all the sense in the world because he grew up in the same house. He had to follow his immaculate older brother around for years and years and years. It's no wonder that some of these messages sunk in maybe a little more deeply into James. James 1.19 says this. There's three translations up here. Puts the message a little bit differently. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Okay? That is God's word for us today. Quick to listen, slow to speak. The New Living Version puts it a little more directly. My friends, you know everyone should listen much, but speak just a little. Or to be even more in your face, the message translation says this. Post this at all the intersections. Dear friends, lead with your ears and then follow up with your tongue. Could this be any more clear so far? what God is asking of those who follow Jesus. When it comes to speaking and listening, we are called by the word of God to lead with our listening. This is such a big problem because it's so much easier to run your mouth than to run your ears. Right? Am I the only one? (laughs) I can think of a couple reasons why this is a big spiritual challenge for everyone in this room. The first reason is, as I just mentioned, for most of us, it is so much easier to talk. It's simple. We hardly even need to use our brain. We just open our mouth, and for many of us, it just comes out. It's so simple, and we're very interested in us. Are we not? Let me tell you about myself. I'm sure you're fascinated. And then I'll post some stuff. A corollary of this is most of the time 
we think our opinions and our knowledge is uh, the best knowledge on the market. And we usually believe about ourselves that we are right. Or am I the only one again? No? Remember in the Harry Potter books at the very beginning, Hermione Granger is like this insufferable know-it-all? She has so many answers, but she is a bad friend at the beginning because she just can't help raising her hand in class and blurting everything out that she knows between her ears. When I was a little kid, I grew up in a house with seven people. I was the smallest. And literally, some kids are clever enough to get attention just by being cute. You know what I mean? Like, some three-year-olds are just like, they're so, everything stops just because they're so cute. I tried that. I was not cute enough to get people's attention. Okay? So I resorted in a house full of seven people to yelling at the top of my lungs. It's true. This works very poorly. I had three sisters that loved each other. They talked. They still talk nonstop. And it's really hard to get a word and an opinion in. So I, lit- I had laryngitis until I was eight years old. I could not talk, literally, from trying to yell at my family just to get their attention. Any opening, I would scream. This is not a good way to go through life, right? By leading with volume, by leading with an amount of words. There is another reason why some of us, maybe especially in church, are quicker, uh, don't want to lean into this. For some of us, the idea of listening to another person or to listening to a series of people just seems exhausting. Like, can we be honest about this? Sometimes other people are really tiresome. Some of us are introverts. Like, we can't wait to go home and curl up in a, in a corner under a blanket with a book Because this world is just such a noisy place that please, like, can I just be comfortable and quiet for a minute? And why is the word of God asking me to pay attention to all these noisy people? There are serious hurdles in the way of our listening. And nonetheless, the word of God simply and clearly is saying, listen first. Lead with your ears. God himself listens. Right? What are we doing here? We have some, some, sung some songs of praise. What is God doing as we are singing and praising? Listening, right? I mean, aren't you hoping God's not like, I mean, the NFL's on in an hour, so just... <laughs> right? God loves, the scriptures say, God loves listening to the praises of his people. It's not about the quality or the volume. It's about the affection God is listening for our hearts. That is what God is listening for. When we pray, what is God doing? I hope so, right? I mean, he could be rolling his eyes. Like, again? You're asking about this again? God is not rolling his eyes. The scriptures say his spirit is literally groaning along with us. Like, there are a thousand ways to pray, and God is pushing us and prodding us and praying along with every one of those ways. When we put our intercessions in front of God, Jesus is in the throne room of God, perfecting our words and then laying these prayers as offerings in front of the throne of God. 
Like, God is listening. Otherwise, this whole hour is a total farce. Okay? And what are we doing every week during this half hour or so where we open the scriptures and somebody stands up here and tries to, like, dig deep into it and tease out the implications of what God's word says? Like, what are we doing? This is not the most entertaining place you could be, right? We are trying to listen for the word of God. It's not a Bible study. It's not about the info. Like the challenge here is to spiritually listen because we believe that God himself is speaking to people like us. Listening is absolutely at the center of the spiritual life. And if we're not listening and if God is not listening, again, this whole thing It makes no sense. When we we believe by faith that God is really listening to us, uh, the proper response, or what, what happens to me internally, is I feel loved. Right? If I know God is really listening to me, and even beyond my words is something deeper. If another person sits across from a table and looks you in the eye and really listens to you. You can see it on their face. Maybe they exhibit some curiosity. Maybe they ask you some really good questions. You can tell they're nodding along. They're really trying to get to the bottom of it. Like, that's a good friend, right? Only people who care uh, listen to us, and we feel it. About eight years ago, there was uh, an artist in New York City. Her name is Marina Abramovich uh, in the Museum of Modern Arts, acronym MOMO, in Manhattan. Uh, She trained for like four months to become a really good listener. Like she learned the body language, the physical part. Like seriously, she went into training to become a listener? Yes, four months. And here was her promise. I will sit at this table in the Museum of Modern Art and whoever comes in front of me, I'm not going to say anything in return. I'm simply going to sit across from the table and listen to you, citizen of New York, for as long as you want to talk at me, the artist. Part of my reaction is like, seriously? This is what modern art is these days? Like, this just seems like common sense. Like, you sit across from somebody and you pay attention and you listen. Literally thousands upon thousands, like 10,000 New Yorkers over the course of a few months streamed into the Museum of Modern Art to sit across from the table from this artist and people began out pouring out their hearts. I mean, you can see some of the folks' reactions in these pictures. People weeping and laughing, people telling deep things from their past that they have no, had never told anyone before, confessing secrets and past misdeeds. I mean, people having this deep, significant emotional reaction and experience, all because finally there is one person who will sit there, keep their mouth shut, and just listen to me. I am fairly convinced, stats bear this out, about 90% of Americans are kind of lonely, and a big ingredient in this is most of us don't have anybody to really listen to us. I mean, hear our babble, look at our posts, maybe, but really listen to us? 
So when I fly on an airplane, I'm kind of a pain in the hindquarters to be around. Uh, so usually I'm flying with my good wife, Sarah. She will tell you if we're in like a row of three with two people, uh, you know, somebody will sit down next to me, and I look at it this way. For at least an hour or two, we have something in common. We're in this metal tube, and we're heading to the same place. Right? We have something in common. And if, I mean, if you look somebody else in the eye and say hello to them and seem genuinely happy to be in their company, people will start talking to you. I mean, not if they have their earbuds in or their headphones on. I don't say hi to those people, right? I leave them to their own devices. But just sitting in an airplane, looking someone in the eye and saying hello usually is enough to trigger people into, like, starting... And within 10 minutes, it's incredible what people will come out with, all because just a little bit of time and attention. Now, I am not the world's best listener. Jesus of Nazareth is the world's best listener, right? He is the master of all the arts, and most of them are just common sense. He is the master of all the arts. Jesus is able not just to hear. Jesus is able to listen to what is really going on. So many gospel accounts bear this out. Jesus is not only able to see all the distracting stuff that is around, Jesus is able to behold the significant things that are happening right in front of him. Right? All of our sensory words have a deeper level. Writers put it this way. You know, it's one thing to write a text, type, it's black and white, it's printed on the page. But what is really significant is the subtext. Not the black and white words, but the intention, the motivation, the message, the heart that lies below those words. And Jesus is always able to get to the heart of the matter. And this is the challenge for us. Are we willing to follow his example to the heart of the matter? There's times where we are inclined to do this. I mean, when music is really good, I mean, what I automatically do uh, when... when the music is woof, significant, the eyes go closed, right? Because if my eyes go closed, it opens my ears another 10 or 20%. When we pray, why do we close our eyes? The Bible never tells you to close your eyes when you pray, by the way. So feel free to keep your eyes open. Or, you know, the reason so many of us close our eyes when we pray is that it helps us focus our spiritual intention and energy by turning off the visual distractions. Right? For those of you who are old enough, do you remember the first time you had like an awkward first kiss with someone? Do you remember? Like, do, you, do I open my eyes or do I close? Do I, and then you learn, like, no, it's good to close your eyes because it, it's just less awkward, trust me. When we close our eyes, it heightens our ears and the other ways that we can pay attention. Slow to speak, quick to listen. In John chapter 8, there is an incredible scene of Jesus listening to the heart of the matter. Uh, There's a lot going on in this text, but I want to look at this with you on the level of Jesus listening to what actually is happening. 
At dawn, Jesus appeared in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. Regular day in Jerusalem, so it would seem. But the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they brought in a woman who was caught in adultery, and they made her stand before Jesus. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, it tells us to stone such women. What do you say? They were using this question, all their words, as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Notice in this account, has Jesus said anything yet? I mean, this whole ugly situation, Jesus is slow to speak, quick to listen, even when the stakes are this high. What do you think Jesus is hearing at this point? I mean, on the surface, he could just be bothered. I'm trying to teach some people at the temple, and you're killing my mojo here. Right? Why, why are you doing this now? Like, save it for later. Isn't there another place Jesus could have said, I'm a rabbi. I'm not on the, the Jewish, you know, court, Sanhedrin. Like, to another place. We'll get to it later. Jesus hears beyond all of this. Jesus is able to listen to the heart of the matter, which is a group of self-righteous religious professionals who are jealous of him, and they're trying to trap him and take him down. What would you say if you knew someone was intentionally trying to trap you, thwart you, ruin you, and bring you down? What would you say? You're having this dawning realization. (laughs) I can think of a lot of things to say. (laughs) Jesus says none of them. Here's what happens next. Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Now, this is the only time in the Gospels that Jesus uh, is recorded to have written something. We would not have known that Jesus could even write were it not for this passage. 90% of people could not write 2,000 years ago. Jesus is writing on the ground. What is he writing When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he finally speaks, if you would read Jesus' words. Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Remember, the price for her sin was capital punishment, the death penalty. And again, Jesus stoops down and writes on the ground. Now, Jesus has heard their self-righteousness. Jesus has heard their condemnation of him. We do not know what he put on the ground. We do know this. Jesus did not write any books. He did not write any scrolls. He did not chisel any tablets. That that is not part of his legacy. The only time Jesus wrote something on the ground, presumably the wind came up later in the afternoon and blew it all away. I have a theory about what Jesus wrote on the ground. It is only a theory. 
But in the presence of these self-righteous accusers who want to take him down, I think, you know, if there were a group of 20 people, maybe Jesus wrote down a date. September 22 of last year. And maybe for one of those 20 people, they realized, I remember what I did on September 22 last year. Maybe Jesus wrote down a place, the name of a hotel, the name of a person. Maybe Jesus wrote down a dollar amount. And as Jesus writes these things down, again, this is a theory, but we do know what happened to these very righteous, judgmental people. At this, seeing the writing, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. And then Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. And Jesus declared, Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus gets her. I mean, when someone really listens to us, this is what, they, what we say. You get me. You understand me. Jesus gets her. He knows she has done wrong. That is clear. And he knows that if she doesn't change her course, the trajectory that her life is going down, that she is in serious danger. Jesus knows the same thing about the folks who gathered around to accuse her, who picked up rocks, who wanted to take both her and Jesus out. Jesus' uh, action after listening to everybody is this. He puts up what I would call a spiritual danger sign, which says there is a cliff ahead. There is danger ahead. If you continue in your self-righteous judgment, if you stay on your high horse, you're going to fall off a cliff. Your life is going to end up in ruin. The message to this woman is the same. If you continue in this path of sexual sin, if you don't change course, your life is going to end up in pain and destruction and ruin. Now, in posting this sign, is Jesus violating anybody's personal freedom? No. Is he taking away anybody's choice? No. Is he being judgmental or condemning? No, I don't think so. He is simply putting up a sign saying, please, out of love, don't take your life over this cliff because I see you, I really see you, I hear you, I am listening to your life, and I love you too much to let your life go off this cliff. I am putting up this sign. There's another way. The other way? To get on the path to get on the journey and walk and follow this rabbi. You don't have to. Jesus is not saying you have to feel guilty if you don't do it. He is just offering an alternative way for everybody whose path he crosses. There are so many stories in the gospel of Jesus listening to people that no one else will pay attention to. 
Zacchaeus, that rich, snobby, stuck-up know-it-all, right? Jesus sees him and listens to him. Surprisingly, there are so many accounts of Jesus listening to women and girls who 2,000 years ago in a male-dominated society, almost everybody was willing to look over. I mean, the story that we heard today from John 8, there is a woman who is unclean for 12 years. No one would have anything to do with her. The account is in Mark 5. She just touches the edges of Jesus' robe, and Jesus hears her. Jesus hears her desperate cry to be healed and saved. Also in Mark chapter 5, Jesus goes to the house where there is a little girl who has recently died. She is no longer breathing, but Jesus can hear her life. Jesus tells everybody, she's not actually dead, she's just sleeping. I mean, she really is dead. Everyone laughs at him, and Jesus raises her to life because Jesus, because he can truly listen, he is the master of listening, he even hears the sounds of life and death, and he knows it is not this girl's time yet, and he brings her back. By the way, there is great comfort in this because even in our most difficult, painful, tragic, tender moments, Jesus of Nazareth can hear where you are. He gets us. Now here's the, here's the challenge and here's the homework. Having heard a few stories about Jesus, the master listener, would you be willing this week to listen to somebody? To take the word of God, be slow to speak, quick to listen, and to put that into practice, maybe with one person. Okay? You cannot do this for everybody. Let's be clear about that. That is not the challenge. You are not supposed to walk out of here thinking, I need to super listen like Jesus to every person in my life. Like that is hopeless. But if you would be willing to listen to one person this week, that would be amazing. Perhaps as uh, you've been sitting through my words here, perhaps as God's word has been hitting your heart, maybe there is a name or a face that comes to your spirit. By the way, if you are married, your spouse is disqualified, as are all people who are genetically related to you. Right? You should be listening to them already. But you're like, I don't listen to them. That's <laughs> well, put them at the top of the list. They don't count for this homework assignment. This needs to be like a coworker, somebody whose path you regularly cross in a coffee shop or on a train, somebody whose life you interact with. If you would genuinely listen to them this week, some amazing things will happen as a result of our going out into the world. I can promise you that. Because so many Americans are lonely and have no one to actually do this. What if we Christians were known as the people who are on the front line of asking great questions, opening our ears, looking at people, and really paying attention? Like, wouldn't that be a great thing for the church to be known for? Okay, this was a message about God's word. I'm going to give you 30 seconds of listening advice. The good listeners in the room already do these three things very instinctually. 
Let me sum up. Just a quick skills test. Number one, if you're going to try to really listen to someone, if you want to give yourself to this, use your face. Like your eyes nod along when you are understanding or kind of look a little concerned. If you don't understand, give someone permission to further explain. Uh, Very encouraging is when you smile at people. You can practice right now. See, this is great. I would preach for probably too long. Actually, if you smile at me, I will go shorter every week, I promise. Like, it's really encouraging to look at people and have them smile and nod back. Number two, uh, as much as you can, listen for the subtext. Use your focus to listen to what they are actually saying. You have permission to ask some simple questions like, or ask for affirmation. Is what you're saying this? Am I hearing you right? Right? This is what good listeners do. They ask clarifying questions. And third, this is the gold standard of listening. If your feelings connect with the feelings of the other person, like literally if they're telling you about something where they feel stuck, if you start having that stuck feeling with your own within your own um, heart, like you are connecting on amazing level. Again, some of the introverts in the mix are like, hmm, this sounds exhausting. I think listening is like running. It always seems like a pain and you never want to do it. Okay? But every time you do it, by the time you're finished, it's like a miracle of being energized happens. Right? I mean, pick your exercise. Rarely do I feel like doing it, but on the back side, I'm so glad to have done it, and my energies and my hope and my like, goodwill are restored. This is what happens when we give ourselves to the art of listening and genuinely connect with other people. God made us to be woven together in this kind of way. Are you willing to do this? To give it a try this week. I see at least 10 people nodding. (laughs) Awesome. In this week's worship folder, on the inside cover, uh, there is some white space. There's some words in green. There's a very big question, which is, what was God's word today? If you're the kind of person who takes notes or who needs to be reminded on Tuesday, got what God was saying on Sunday, this white space is for you. If writing down the name of the person that the Holy Spirit is giving you marching orders to listen to this week, like if writing that down will help you actually do it, this white space is for you. Again, in this gathering, God is speaking. He says to us as his people, be slow to speak and quick to listen. If we embody that, it is going to be uh, the leading edge of God doing some amazing things in the world. 100 years ago, a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, Many people are looking for an ear that will listen, but they do not find it among Christians because Christians are talking where they should be listening. In our postmodern society, where everybody is posting, emailing, messaging, putting more and more words and images out there, 
the most important evangelistic skill we have is listening. Do you hear me on that? The most, if we want to be a church that reaches out, the most important tool in the toolbox is our ears. God, sign me up. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. And though it is challenging for us to lean into this simple command, to be quick to listen and slow to speak, God, we want to do that. We thank you that you do that for us. You don't simply come at us with commands and judgment, but you hear our lives, you hear our trouble, you hear our sin, you hear our failures. You listen to that, and you come to us with love and redemption and healing in your hands. For that, Lord Jesus, we say thank you, thank you, thank you, and we pray in your name. Amen.